<laughs> What's up? Not much. Yeah. Enjoy. Have you enjoyed your your little weekend off? Uh, no. Because I uh, here's the dealio. I'm feeling very overworked because I am being overworked, <laughs> and so it's been a short weekend, which is annoying, and so I can't enjoy it because I'm like, oh, I should have another day off after this, but now I got to work tomorrow. That's uh. You know, I can't enjoy the weekend because I'm having anxiety about not being in the weekend. That's a mood. Yep. How about you? Certainly a mood. Uh, I mean, now I'm remembering that tomorrow's Monday and I don't want to go to work. (laughs) Thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, No, I've been doing pretty okay, I think. Yeah. Trying to, you know, not let myself get overworked and not stress out about what I can't change, um, which is always fun. Yeah. It's a good time out here i try i've been um avoiding the news here lately i be i think because i'm tired and um stressed out from work that i'm like i don't need one more thing yeah i get that yeah i have to go on like news breaks where i just like i can't it's too much like shit already sucks and then on top of that like you want to just tell me how much more it sucks that i didn't even realize yep like and the worst part is my old man coworker <laughs> loves to sit and just tell me the headlines he's reading. And I'm like, I hate coming to work. <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. you see this one? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying to avoid the fucking news for the third time. <laughs> yeah. People just don't get it. Like, especially that generation. I think oh, yeah. it's just so like, no, you have to know the news. You have to know what's going on. I was like, yeah, so your generation can just ignore it? Like, what? Yeah, what do you like, want? What do you do with that information? Yeah, why is the news so important to you? You don't even pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, oh, that must be fake. I'm going to stop well, listening to it. Well, speaking of things that are depressing, shall we start the episode? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. Uh, This is episode 142 of our series. Uh, We are seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I swear to God, I'm not trying to sound like... Who is it that does that? Uh, like like Obama or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. <laughs> These next two episodes, we will be discussing um, some Hollywood horrors. So hold on to your butts. Yeah, mine's uh, as- pretty horrific. <laughs> <laughs> your, your story or your butt? Yes. As always, you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and right now still on Twitter. So uh, all that information will be in the show notes. Also remember, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash strange unusual. And we have fun there. Yeah. So uh, all all that will be at the end of the episode as well in further detail and in the show notes if you want to, you know, copy and paste or whatever. Yeah, it's all spelled correctly. So. It's my episode. I was about to ask you what you were talking about, but it's me. I'm the problem. <laughs> I will be telling you today about the maybe possibly curse of the Lee family. So I'll be telling you a little bit about Bruce Lee, a little bit about Brandon Lee, um, why their lives ended so early, and uh, kind of going on with that. Uh, th- and I want to say, just because it's not an episode of Strange and Unusual if we are not mocking each other relentlessly. This episode was supposed to come out on Brandon Lee's birthday, which was February 1st, but Roya ruined it because she couldn't power through a little pain in her shoulder that kept her from breathing. Yeah, just a little so, bit. Just, so, just a little bit of crippling <laughs> muscle pain. So I'm just telling you, I, tr- I really tried. I had a topical thing, but actually um, when I did start writing this, I hadn't even considered that these events took place in 1993. This will be the second story that we've come that we've done in a row that's coming up on a 30 year anniversary, which I thought was kind of interesting. But it is topical, uh, given that it's it's constantly mentioned in the news right now. Brandon Lee's death with um, Alec Baldwin getting formally charged with involuntary manslaughter for his, the Rust shooting that took place. So a lot of these articles about Alec Baldwin will refer back to Brandon Lee. Um, But we're going to be going back even further than that, uh, back even further from 1993, because if you want to talk about Brandon Lee, we have to talk about Bruce Lee. So 
we'll start there. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> this is Roya and Casey from the future. Roya very kindly pointed out to me that I forgot my wee-woos. <laughs> so here are future wee-woos for past episode. Wee-woo! Maybe murder? Maybe manslaughter? Definitely racism. Uh, horrific working conditions, negligence, conspiracy theories, eating disorders, and Malgoth aesthetics. And now we will be leaving you and going back to the future. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Lee Jun Fan was born on November 27th, 1940. That's right, kids. Bruce Lee was born in the year of the dragon. See, hmm. I switched it up on you. I, I, did, I did the Chinese astrology. Yeah, that's so fitting though that's so funny right he would be born the year of the dragon so the year of the dragon and and this is the metal dragon specifically because apparently there are elements that go with each year Mm -hmm. so according to one website dragons are intelligent passionate about their goals and charming all of which were true in this case and they also said that dragons will do what it takes to stay on top and then i immediately wrote underneath tyra you want to be on top because <laughs> like, i couldn't know myself um and also the the element of metal um is a symbol of persistence and ambition which all are very very bruce lee um in the western sun sign astrology he's a sagittarius um and sag babies are known for their passion and curiosity intensity adaptability so it all it all makes a lot of sense for him okay lee's father uh, was a pretty famous Cantonese opera singer and actor, and his parents happened to be in San Francisco for an international opera tour when he was born. Like, they're just traveling around. She's nine months pregnant. Oops. Uh, so he was, by birth, a dual citizen of the U.S. and Hong Kong, where his fa- his parents lived. Hmm. Uh, the family returned to Hong Kong the following April, just in time for World War II to make its way to the Pacific. Oh, good. What excellent timing <laughs> yeah. for them. Well, Japan was in its villain era. And yeah. I say that lovingly because I mean. America has never come out of its villain era. Uh, but Japan was in its villa era, villain era and invaded Hong Kong, um, which was under British rule at the time. Uh, that was December of 1941, right on the tails of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Um, I think they were occupied until August of 1945, if anyone cares. But Japan was had invaded Hong Kong and was occupied for four years while Bruce was growing up. But he started acting at a fairly young age. Some said he was first on screen as a baby, like somebody brought him in as the baby on the set. Uh, But he started acting at like four or something. Wow. Uh, According to the Britannica, he was often cast as a street urchin or 'er ne'er-do-well. They also said that he took up with local gangs in real life. Um, when he was a teenager and that he learned um, kung fu to better defend himself Um, part of the reason why he was in these gangs was because uh, kids in his private school which again british british occupied hong kong again so um, these like english european kids were making fun of him but and then like he would turn around and then the chinese kids would make fun of him for not being chinese enough and that was kind of how it went for the rest of his life um Sorry, he he would end up learning the Wing Chun style of Kung Fu under legendary master Yip Man, but he was initially denied entrance to the school because of his mother's Eurasian ancestry, which I didn't mention when I said he was picked on and wasn't Chinese enough. Sorry about that. Reverse it. Um, his mother was half European and half Chinese, but her parentage is kind of debated in Bruce Lee circles, from what I understand. People don't know. Was it the mother? Was it the father? You know, whatever. I don't think it matters, but uh, there was evidently a rule that you don't teach someone who is not Chinese Chinese martial arts. And people were like, well, he's not Chinese because his mom's half European. So um, he did eventually get three out of four ain't bad. I mean, (laughs) this is this is the 40s or this is, you know, the the 40s and 50s. This is not as open. And actually, he does a lot to change that. But um he did eventually get accepted as a student, but then the other students refused to train with him. Um, his daughter said that Yip Man decided um, to dis- expel him from the class because of this, even though he continued to teach him on the side. She said he didn't agree with his students, but it was his livelihood. And so Bruce ended up with basically private lessons. 
Around this time, he also started dance lessons, even winning Hong Kong's cha-cha competition in 1958. The same year, he won a Hong Kong school boxing tournament. That man knew what he was about. I mean, and there there are two things that go hand in hand, right? Yeah. Like dancing and fighting. There's there's a reason why there's a, oh, yeah. a whole fighting style designed around dancing. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, football players learn to dance to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also somewhere around this time that he starts going by Bruce, um, which is a name that was allegedly given to him by the San Francisco hospital he was born in. Someone there was like, "You should call that kid Bruce." <laughs> she was like i'm gonna go actually (laughs) she's like i'm gonna go with lee june von but thank you (laughs) (laughs) sorry just imagining this white woman going you should name your baby bruce after me um (laughs) (laughs) bruce anna (laughs) he's going by bruce ended up getting in a street fight and knocking out the wrong kid basically he was the son of a triad member which oh jeez! which is like the chinese mafia uh so his mom was like hey baby why don't you uh use that sweet sweet dual citizenship and get the fuck out and he left for the u.s <laughs> um so yes um he he ends up going to the university of washington in seattle where he would meet his future wife linda and he opened his own martial arts school teaching a variation of the wing chun uh, style which would eventually be developed into his own uh martial arts style called jeet kundo he and linda married in august of 1964 and their first child my fellow aquarius brandon uh was born just six months later on february 1st 1965 which tells me they were fucking before they were married to which i say you're fucking here get it linda <laughs> <laughs> Their second child was a daughter named Shannon, who was born in April of 1969. So keep that in mind as we go forward, because Bruce is about to have a lot of shit on his plate throughout the 60s. Picture it. It's the 60s. And I believe they had moved to California at this point. I apparently didn't write that down. But Bruce is wanting to continue his acting career in the States, but there weren't a lot of parts for Asian actors at the time. Yeah, which we talked about in... um the george takei episode too i actually refer back to that um bruce (laughs) unless he wanted to play the racist and xenophobic parts set in an opium den or as a servant uh any substantial asian character was going to be played by a white person in yellow face and the discomfort i felt when i rewatched breakfast at tiffany's was real but But like that character would have almost been worse had they made him a Japanese oh, yeah. actor and then made him like say the lines the same way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It With the bad. fake teeth and everything. Yep. Like I like I said I I was going to refer to the George K episode uh yeah. Um Star Trek had debuted in 1966. So we're on the cusp of getting like Sulu'd out over here and th- things are starting to uh be more yeah. um available. Well, and- and Bruce and George both played a huge part in that too. Yes. Um but he start he he doesn't have anything right now so he's he starts traveling around and he's demonstrating his cool new martial arts technique, spreading the word, trying to get people interested in joining his school. And in 1964, while doing a demonstration in Long Beach, he met a man named William Dozier who developed, produced this little little known sitcom called Batman starring Adam West. Insignificant. Uh, he, Yes, insignificant. He was asked to audition for a role in a show about Lee Chen, but nothing ever came from that. However, Dozier was interested in casting Lee, and by 1966, Lee was starring as Cato alongside Van Williams in the first iteration of The Green Hornet. It only lasted a single season, but they did have three crossover episodes with Batman, which is pretty cool. Uh, Batman was the the big shit of its day, Mm -hmm. so he was was on a screen for, for millions, basically. Well, and I remember my mom saying, because she would watch The Green Hornet, Mm -hmm. and I remember her always talking about how much, how impressed she always was with with Cato, with Bruce Lee. Yeah. Well, this served the U.S. audiences, uh, like, this introduced not only Bruce Lee, but also Asian-style martial arts weren't Mm -hmm. very commonplace, and this was the first show to really have that. It said that the direct- Asian Asian martial arts, like, not only are they- are they actually impressive? They look incredibly impressive. Yes. You know, you can do just a little bit with it 
and it looks fucking cool if you know what you're doing you know and so Uh, the director actually wanted him to do you know your standard batman and robin style john wayne punches but lee refused because he was a trained martial artist yeah and insisted on using that yeah he insisted on using his own fighting style but they had to slow down his movements because he was so fast that the cameras couldn't catch it like (laughs) the frames per second were not fast enough to catch brand or uh, bruce lee's you know fighting style um so and and speed was something that he was you know going to become famous for obviously but uh so yeah they had to tell him to slow down his movements and while the show failed bruce did get noticed and he actually had a pretty um wide breadth of noteworthy students like roman polanski and sharon tate uh steve mcqueen kareem abdul jabbar and of course chuck norris everybody knows i have an uncle who was who learned uh martial arts from chuck norris oh wow when he was still teaching look he he learned then vicariously yeah through bruce lee yeah back before his uh walker texas ranger days oh man In 1971, Bruce pitched a show to Warner Brothers for himself called The Warrior. It was set in the Old West. He was going to play a Shaolin monk, fight cowboys with martial arts instead of guns. But the studio said, no dice. Uh, Your accent is too thick, which is code for we don't want to put an Asian actor as the star of a primetime television show. So uh, they didn't think it would be a success. And they didn't accept the show and then abc did a show almost immediately after called kung fu uh where it's almost the exact same premise and it's starring a white actor david carradine who by the way at the time was not known as a martial artist Mm -hmm. like they put him in this role and then i think he was like man i like this shit and became known for his martial arts yeah because that's uh bill right from kill bill david carradine i think so it's been a long time he accidentally killed himself yeah okay Bill from Kill Bill. So, uh, yeah, so they hired the white actor, blah, blah, blah. While he, Bruce, while Bruce was frustrated with all of these supporting roles at the time, he later ended up saying in an interview, quote, sorry, quote, they think that business wise, it was a risk. I don't blame them. If the situation were reversed and an American star were to come to Hong Kong and I was the man with the money, I would have my own concerns whether the acceptance would be there. But he said, fuck Hollywood and bounced back to Hong Kong. Unbeknownst to Lee, the Green Horn Green Oh my god. <laughs> Unbeknownst to Lee, the Green Fuck, what is wrong with my mouth? <laughs> Unbeknownst to Lee, the Green Hornet had been exceptionally popular in Hong Kong and was even lovingly referred to as the Kato show. Aww. It wasn't long before Lee developed a martial arts movie with a Hong Kong studio, uh, Golden Harvest. Uh, and that movie was called The Big Boss. It was released in the U.S. as Fist of Fury, accidentally typed Fist of Furry. And that's <laughs> hilarious because at one point, instead of writing King Kong or Hong Kong, I wrote King Kong. So now I'm like, my brain was just in furry world for a second. Um, but anyway, so they they initially marketed it in the U.S. as Fist of Fury, which is probably a mix up because Lee's next film was in Hong Kong, Fist of Fury, and then had to be retitled in the U.S. as The Chinese Connection. Mm. Both were hits in the Chinese box office, setting insane box office records. Uh, he then wrote, produced, directed, and starred in The Way of the Dragon, which blew those other records out of the water. And this that's the one where he fights Chuck Norris in The Way mm. of the Dragon. Um, in 1972, he started working on his fourth film, Game of Death, which included fight scenes with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, again, another former student. Uh, and But he was becoming massively p- successful across Asia during the 70s and one podcast i listened to called you must remember this said that this was in part because of the new stereotype that lee was setting for the archetype of asian masculinity he was a sex symbol he was strong and charismatic and sexy and remember before people pictured asian men like mickey rooney was in breakfast at tiffany's that's what people believed what did you say in the, in the George Decay episode? Like, George Decay walked so that Simu Liu could run. Like, this is very much that. Mm-hmm. Like, Bruce really helped set up that that same thing. So Warrior Brothers got good. They wanted in on that Chinese box office money, and they were convinced by a producer to co-finance a new Bruce Lee movie with Golden Harvest. And there's another one. There's, like, a third production team, but they don't matter. Um, And they created... uh. The movie Enter the Dragon, which is considered Lee's masterpiece. 
Enter the Dragon was not great for Lee's mental and physical health, though. He was hounded by Preston Hong Kong. He was being offered roles alongside Elvis. There was a potential collaboration with James Bond. People were interested in this new action hero. And because of that success, Lee was putting a lot of pressure on himself to do better, go bigger, be more successful. And he had also turned into this health nut. Uh, subsisting on like juice and shakes and vitamins, no restaurants, no snacks, no junk food. He wanted his body to look a very specific way. And he believed that if he was putting junk in his body, he would get low. Like it was like using low octane fuel, basically. Mm-hmm. So Which shooting it can get yeah, like a more nutritious food is going to be better Go and further. last longer yeah. for you. Uh, but shooting ended up being delayed because he had a little tiny nervous breakdown. He developed a facial tic, which they then had to shoot around in the film. He was having seizures and headaches, and he lost 20 pounds of weight. Like, he went from 140 pounds to 120 pounds. Yeah, I was like, he was not a big guy. No. Uh, And keep in mind, at this time, he's not shooting one movie, but also doing shoots for Game of Death still, and working on another movie with a different company called Fist of Unicorn. So, now, the interesting thing about Enter the Dragon is that it was shot with no audio, and everything was done after the fact, recorded and overlaid in a studio. During one of these recording sessions on May 10th, 1973, Lee collapsed. He was convulsing on his way to the hospital and actually went into a coma. There were varying reports on what actually happened, but it's generally presumed that he was diagnosed with a cerebral edema, which is swelling in the brain. But he came out of the coma and he kept on keeping on, I guess. Enter the Dragon would premiere in Hong Kong on Uh, July 26, 1973, but Bruce, unfortunately, was not going to be around to enjoy it. And before I go any further, I want to echo what is said in uh, that podcast, You Must Remember This. Um, Bruce Lee was in high demand at this time, and due to the financial incentive for the press, it's best that you consider anything you read from this era questionable at best. Um, I'm going to do my best to tell you what the common theory or theories are and what seems to be consistent in these stories, but um, take everything with a grain of salt. I can't speak for how truthful any of this is. Mm-hmm. On July 20th, uh, Bruce Lee was in the home of his colleague, Taiwanese actress Betty Tingpei. He complained that he had a headache and she gave him something for it and told him to go lay down. What did she give him? Equagesic a short-term treatment for pain coupled with tension or anxiety it's basically aspirin plus a tranquilizer Oof. and bruce didn't wake up a doctor was called uh who tried to resuscitate him but the ambulance arrived and took him to the hospital and he was pronounced doa he was only 32 years old jesus yeah which like we just turned 33 both of us so it's like oh Oh, the mortality. (laughs) And obviously, I don't want, you know, like, I wish he would have survived for so much longer. Like, it'd be Mm -hmm. incredible to think about what he could have done had he lived longer. I mean, that's kind of always the case, right? Oh, yeah. But, like, how much he got done in 32 years. Like, God, that makes me feel terrible about myself. Right? I'm like, like, I have a podcast that no one listens to. (laughs) Crying about my taxes and like wanting to eat a pizza about it. And like, (laughs) well, the film was posthumously released and the world was a buzz, my dudes. Like, people were wild about this film. And autopsy came out, or like the, the autopsy revealed that there were no external injuries, but said that his brain had swollen. By 13%. Wow. People are still trying to explain his death today. So there was one article from 2005 saying that it was an allergic reaction to the equagesic. Like there was something in there he reacted poorly to, um, probably in the tranquilizer side of the med, uh, but who knows. In 2018, a biography was published where it was speculated that it was actually overexertion and a street, a street, a heat stroke um, that that caused the edema um i was just researching i saw an article from the hill just from a couple months ago from november where doctors were claiming it was actually uh hyponatrema which hyponatrema yeah uh a condition caused by low concentration of sodium in the blood um basically saying he was probably drinking too much water which is kind of ironic considering he was famous for the quote be water my friend like maybe not bruce (laughs) 
The official autopsy states death by misadventure, which is a first for me. I, I had never heard that before, but it basically just means it's an accident and it wasn't caused by a crime. If you fall out of a tree, it's death by misadventure. Mm. Um, regardless of the cause, the conspiracies were piling up. It was a curse or his house had poor feng shui. Like <laughs> people were coming up with all sorts of shit. Ting Pei did it. It was ordered, actually, by the uh, organized crime group because maybe that time that he punched that kid that he shouldn't have punched. I don't know. Well, the theory um, that I had always heard is that it was because he was looking at moving his movie production to the that's U.S. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. and, and there was and a the big problem with him spreading the knowledge of these Chinese martial arts secrets, which we know is a no-no from the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So, yeah, that's there's a lot of conspiracy theories there's a lot of conjecture that it was done intentionally um but i'm already on page seven and i haven't even gotten to the inspiration for this episode which is my water bearer bro brendan lee and his bizarre death so maybe we'll do a little extra fancy side episode for that as a little treat for our patron members <laughs> patreon.com slash change unusual anyway so bruce lee was unable to achieve the stardom in the u.s until after he died which is very Vincent Van Gogh of him. Like, let me let me die and then I'll be famous. Very but, a lot of a lot of artists yes. of him. Uh, when Enter the Dragon was released in the U.S. just weeks later, it was like August. Um, he became a national celebrity, and people tried to cash in on that death. Uh, despite his relatively small body of work, he left behind a legacy that changed U.S. culture, as we've been discussing this whole time. Oh yeah, and it was you a legacy. See everything, every yeah. popular media has a bruce yep. lee reference in it yep how many and times do you see a, an action character in a movie come out in a yellow and black like suit and pants we, like jack we just talked about kill bill like yeah yeah i mean but not just like tarantino tarantino fucking loves bruce lee oh yeah it's very clear yeah i mean well and tarantino's feet. a huge a huge like kung fu asian yeah. movie buff fanatic yeah <clears throat> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, there's, there's so many references and it, it's interesting because I think that there's, I think if you, it, if you're not familiar with like Asian media or Asian, um, pop culture, it's so easy to just see those references to anything and, and just assume like, oh, well, this has to be from this other thing, but that's also just a reference mm -hmm. <laughs> back to the original source. Yep. Like one of the ones that always comes to mind that is, is similar to I think the the Bruce Lee especially that black and yellow um outfit is uh in Akira it's a anime it's a movie but there's a part where there's this really iconic slide across the road on his motorcycle mm. and that is replicated in every animated show I've ever seen. <clears throat> like literally seriously every i thought you were one. gonna make a bruce lee reference i'm sorry no, <laughs> it's like I, I you lost me for a second but it's every single one i'm saying that there's there's oh so yeah much. i know the, i know the anime motorcycle slide i don't even watch anime and i know the anime motorcycle slide. yeah and so like that's that's the thing is like you know you you start to to reference other things that are referencing this original thing mm -hmm. without realizing the original thing it's referencing yep but yeah, there's a ton. There's so many. And it's not even just the black and yellow jumpsuit. There's so many moments and shots of Bruce Lee doing things in movies mm -hmm. that are referenced. It was a legacy that opened doors for his son, Brandon Lee, just eight years old at the time of his father's death. Um, and, and Bruce started Brand bleh, hold on. Bruce started Brandon's training when he was really little. Allegedly, he could kick through it one inch thick board by the time he was five after his father died the family moved back to california and he continued to study under other students of his father one person said that brandon often struggled with his identity like imagine having to train under the nose of your father as a giant poster on the wall of a dojo that you're in like yeah he was he was getting kind of rebellious about it to the fact that he, um to the point where he actually decided to quit martial arts and play stalker instead uh, then he got kicked out of high school just four months before graduation because of his shitty behavior. Um, but he did end up getting his GED from a different school that same year. But he had showed an interest in acting as a child while visiting the sets of his father's films. 
And while it's said that he initially tried to distance himself from that legacy, uh, he didn't want to be involved in martial arts movies like at all. Uh, But it got his foot in the door. His first role was actually a made-for-TV movie called Kung Fu the Movie. Uh, And it was a follow-up to that same ABC show starring David Carradine. And Carradine, (laughs) now known for being a martial artist, was returning as the lead and Lee was going to play his illegitimate son. That's Later, yeah. Later, Lee would say that he felt like there was some justice in being cast in the role given what happened to his father. Yeah, that's true. Uh, So he worked over the decade with varying degrees of success in films like Legacy of Rage, which was his one one and done Hong Kong Cantonese film, said that he didn't get along well with the uh, with the director. And I think he probably just put a bad taste in his mouth. Um, But he also he did a role on an episode of O'Hara, which starred Pat uh, Morita, which is Mr. Miyagi. Um, He was in Laser Mission, which was a straight to video job that had a modest success for a straight to video job. He was offered the role of his father in the 1991 biopic dragon the bruce lee story but he felt weird about engaging in an acted romance with his mother essentially yeah, <laughs> i said i, I said that. i wrote lol loser have you seen Pornhub lately <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh also allegedly the uh producer said he didn't look chinese enough so the role went to i mean Jason- he is not as Chinese technically as Bruce was. That is accurate. Uh, yeah. But the role went to Jason Scott Lee. No relation. Uh, then he did a movie called Showdown in Little Tokyo, opposite of Dolph Lundgren, a.k.a. Rocky's Ivan Drogo. If you are a Rocky fan, uh, he was in Rapid Fire. There were talks happening in the Marvel Universe where Stan Lee, also no relation, said that uh, Brandon <laughs> would be perfect for the role of Shang-Chi in a TV or film adaptation, but obviously that never happened and he wasn't doing anything that was really going to change the world at this point like brandon lee was doing little kung fu movies that were getting his foot in the door of acting but weren't really pushing the the limits like his father had Mm -hmm. um but that's when he landed the job uh the part of eric draven in the crow Initially, James O'Barr, the creator of the uh, the Crow's graphic novel and the production, didn't really want Lee because of his history with these straight-to-video kung fu movies. <clears throat> they tried to get Christian Slater for the part, which I can't imagine. Like any of these people, I mean, I'm about to say, I can't you can't ima- picture. I can I can picture it for the time. I can yes. see why he would have been approached for it, but having. Like there's a reason Growing up why with the crow. There's another two former mall goths. <laughs> well, there's there's a reason why the other two crow movies weren't as successful and weren't as yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a big part of that is because th- it was in the shadow of Brandon Lee. Yeah. And I mean, it's so- sort of the same way that I feel about uh, another you know person who unfortunately passed with Heath, Heath Ledger. Oh yeah. As the Joker is like whoever, regardless. Of the adapt the next adaptation of the Joker, mm-hmm. everyone was going to compare. Everyone's going to continue to compare people to Heath Ledger's Joker until someone does, does a, a good enough yeah. job to yeah. be on par or considered better. Those are big um, shoes to fill, though. Yeah, Slater obviously didn't get the part. He was asking for too much money because he was really popular at the time. Yeah, and he, he was, could. That was like the height of his career. Um. Other considerations were Johnny Depp and River Phoenix and fucking weirdly Michael Jackson. I could see, I could see, yeah, 90s, 90s Johnny Depp, I could see doing all right in it. Yeah. Um, Michael Jackson was considered, because they were talking about how Eric Draven's character is a rock star. Like, you're not a star, but you know, like he's a, he's musician. a musician. Yeah. And so they were talking about getting musicians and that's when Michael Jackson came up. I would, God, I would do not want to see the film where Michael Jackson. <laughs> You don't want to see loved, the you don't want to see the the demo like the no the I love the Wiz but I I cannot like fucking Nick Cage Nicholas Cage's uh, Superman or no Tom Hiddleston is Thor God can you imagine? <laughs> I can't no anyway uh, Bruce or, I'm sorry Brandon uh, won them over with his enthusiasm and charisma. He was even able to convince the director to remove a subplot with a harmful Asian stereotype. Um, Obar, the creator, um, said in an interview, quote, not a lot of people realize just how hard he worked. 
He did all of his own fight choreography, all of his own stunts. The only thing he didn't do was falling off buildings because they wouldn't let him. (laughs) That's without even talking about his performance. He brought the right mix of humor, pain, and menace to the role, which he absolutely did. It's such a good movie. Again, we are both products of that of that time like uh, it I feel, was such I, an influence i still feel that a lot i would say 90 percent of that movie stands oh yeah i think the, the also i think like biling is a little bit of a, a miss and there's some of the some of the scripting i think could I be like a lot better lights. <laughs> like there's just some lines that i'm like that's just that was a decision like yeah but ernie but, hudson's in it and it's great like if you haven't seen it oh what yeah are you if doing? you haven't seen it go watch it like do you it's, it's it's sad it is sad i will give oh, yeah. a, a heads up it is a sad goth movie for sad goth bitches but it, it is good it, it i think i think the crow is probably the movie that turned me into the goth bitch that i am mm. i didn't see it until later actually i because i, I thought well, it was i thought it was a horror movie Oh yeah, and no, so I, I was, avoided it. My brother, I was loved one of it. those bitches that was like in hot topic at the time, going, "What's this movie? I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to be the hot topic bitch." <laughs> like, and then and that's how I mean, that's how I watched uh, Invader Zim too. I was like, "What is this shit?" Oh, I watched Nickelodeon. That's how I watched. Oh no, Zim. no, um, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Oh. Those were the the comic books that I got there. I think that I started reading Johnny because you recommended it. I probably I did. That's we how... were we were those kids. Yeah. <laughs> and Johnny and I started and... listening to him because you recommended it. I do I I still have I, I stand. <laughs> I still have somewhere I have the Razorblade Romance. Razorblade Romance with the bright fucking pink. Yeah, Love I used that. to have it on Love a poster <laughs> too. I used to have a poster. And I it have, was probably the only pink shirt I owned at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I had a hardogram belt buckle that I love. Oh, fuck yeah. Hell and I, and yeah. And I put it on a pink studded belt. Yeah, you fucking did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the story. I called that color fucking him pink for years. You, you still should. <laughs> See how many people understand what you're saying. It's <laughs> the razor blade romance pink. <laughs> In a reversal of Bruce Lee's Kato, they steered away from martial arts moves, like conventional martial arts moves in the fights, um, with the intent for Draven to be a rocker, not an action hero. It was said that Lee prepared for the role by going on a diet. Uh, he started doing exercises to create a leaner silhouette instead of a buff one. Like he had a pretty bulky body for that um standoff in little tokyo movie um he lost 20 pounds ringing any bells um and 20 pounds he didn't need to lose evidently apparently um obar said that he was so thin that he could lift him with one arm oh like, wow he he wanted to look more stringy i guess <laughs> like, well, i mean he wanted to look like a corpse because you know yeah not, <laughs> spoiler alert yeah <laughs> <laughs> For the crow, if you haven't seen it. Uh, he would also sit in bathtubs full of ice, like a fucking lunatic, because he imagined being dead would be cold. And there's been a lot, like, bringing up Heath Ledger again, there's been a lot of people who are like, when you pull back and you look at how um, Brandon Lee and Heath Ledger uh, prepared for their roles. Oh, yeah. And there's yeah. just, there's a lot of parallels, and it, it really, I think... Um, I think there needs to be a little bit of a light shed on you can be too much of a method actor. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> the PR team was on fire for this movie too. They made Lee out to be like the next big thing, which is what PR is supposed to do. But um, in the podcast I mentioned, she points out how marketable he actually was. Um, he's six foot tall, way taller than his dad. Super handsome, super funny and charming. Um he also had what would be seen as an advantage in Hollywood that he was not really ethnically definable. He had no discernible accent, but you know, she mentions it. Like you think about people like the rock or um, Vin Diesel and they're kind of just vague man shape. (laughs) Yeah. You can put them in a lot of different roles. um, Key from key and peel. Like, yeah, he can do so many things because he doesn't have a, this is my, ethnic look you know he can yeah he can sort i mean of i would even in. say like um kumail nanjiani 
Like yeah. he just looks like he like Middle Eastern. Like yep. from from and that's that's a huge swath of area yeah. that he and he's not even Middle Eastern. <laughs> like, it's an, when he starts talking, you're like, oh yeah, you're from India. I got it. But yeah. you know, as far as a physical appearance, um, he's not actually he's Pakistani or pa- yeah Pakistani. But um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of actors that I think fall into that, and there's a lot yeah. of uh, female actors too that I think fall but into that's- it too that's marketable because you can you can do so many different things so that's one of the things that um you know could have made him an incredible mainstream actor but shooting was troubled from the start um it was filled filled filmed at uh carol co studios in wilmington north carolina in the middle of winter um they shot only at night it was like 23 degrees most nights they had a low budget in a low budget shoot, you have to make every moment count. And when you rush a project, mistakes are bound to happen. According to one entertainment article I read, on the very first day of shooting, a carpenter named Jim uh, Martisius, I hope I'm saying that right, Jim, I'm sorry. Um, he was 27 at the time, um, and he was severely burned on his face, chest, and arms when a live power line hit the crane that he was working. Wow. His wife said doctors projected, quote, in two years, he'll be done with surgery. In five years, he'll be as normal as he'll get. Oof. End quote. That is not what you want to hear. Yeah. That same day, a publicist for the film got in a car accident. I imagine and that evening, <laughs> And that evening, an equipment truck mysteriously caught on fire. What? A disgruntled employee went absolutely bananas and ended up driving his car into the plaster shop. A construction worker slipped... And a screwdriver went through his hand. Oh, I thought that was going to be way worse. Yeah. The publicist, the one who got in the accident, later said, it was serious, but it's not like he's going to lose the use of his hand. I mean, (laughs) there... I I consider that a a net positive if you've got to have a screwdriver go through your hand. The... the, um, There was a drive-by shooting nearby. Like, uh, there was a storm... That blew in on March 13th and destroyed a bunch of sets. And Brandon was starting to struggle with working nights. Like I said, it's it's freezing temperatures. He's shirtless sometimes. He's wet most times because of the fucking rains of the whole goddamn movie. It's like this whole part, this whole subplot is can't rain all the time. It does. It <laughs> rains all the time. <laughs> uh, this ends up being one of many correlations between him and his father working themselves ragged. And... Um, Another one points out that um, there was a big tsunami that hit Hong Kong at the end of the filming for Enter the Dragon. Um, So, like, people are talking about all these correlations that are lining up with Bruce at the end of his life. So it's March 31st, eight days until wrap, and it was time to film the scene where Eric is killed by Tintin and his gang. Eric steps into the apartment to find his fiance Shelly, being essayed on the night before their wedding. He's holding a grocery bag. It's a whole thing. Uh, Fun boy played by Michael Massey, points, shoots, and Eric goes down. Cut. The scene went off without a hitch. Except that Brandon didn't get up. And then somebody said, he's bleeding. And then he was rushed to the hospital. And after five blood transfusions and six hours of surgery, he died. He was just 28 years old. The whole situation bore an uncanny similarity to Bruce Lee's Game of Death, the movie that came out posthumously. In the film, an assassin sneaks onto the set of the hero's new film. He's an actor in the movie. um, And he is shot during the filming. He survives, but needs facial reconstruction surgery. And then with his new cool face, uh, starts exacting revenge against those who wronged him one by one. Then, because it was finished post-mortem, they actually use scenes from Bruce's actual funeral in the film. Fun. Um, But just like weird thing, like somebody coming back and getting revenge one by one on those who wronged him and and getting shot on a set like weird little points that people just you know love to point out like oh but what if it you know was Mm -hmm. this the original scene is obviously not the one we see in the film some say that the film uh was destroyed others say that it was confiscated by the police for investigations into the death um But no one knew what happened until after the investigation and autopsy, which was, you know, a field day for reporters. Um, Like his father, the press didn't wait for actual information. And when they did get the information on what happened, it just raised more questions. 
It seemed at some point, a props guy went to a pawn shop to get items for the set of Gideon's Pawn Shop. Uh, One of the things he brought back was a live box of ammunition, ammunition, like a box of live ammunition. Um, This is a fucking no-no. There should not be live ammo on a set. They use blanks or dummies. Uh, Blanks uh, is a, they're a bullet casing filled with gunpowder with like a disc of cardboard or something non-lethal on the end. Um, You know, you get the bang of the bullet, but you don't have any impact. So when the props master saw them, he rightly locked them in the trunk of his car and said, this is not happening. (laughs) But at some point they ran out of blanks. So the live ammo was retrieved and modified to turn them into blanks and dummy bullets. And sorry, dummy bullets are um, the shell and the and the lead tip, but the gunpowder is removed so that it doesn't actually go anywhere. It's just like, boop. <laughs> um, the theory goes that after filming a scene with a close up of a, of a dummy bullet, like there's a scene where you see it zoom in on the bar- barrel of somebody's being shot. The lead tip had been lodged inside. So when the blank was loaded for the death scene weeks later, that tip was still in there and was propelled forward with the blank like a normal fucking bullet and struck Brandon Lee, ultimately leading to his death. When the cause of death was, or <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> so Brandon Lee's cause of death was set wide negligence and it was no one person's fault. It was a low budget film with non-union workers being pushed to their absolute fucking breaking point with long hours on night shift and cold weather. In Alec Baldwin's case, he's facing criminal charges of involuntary manslaughter. No such charges were brought against Michael Massey, though a civil suit was filed by Linda uh, against the studio for negligence, which was settled for an undisclosed amount. And we hope that she's doing well. I don't know. Nancy Gertner, a former judge and senior lecturer at Harvard Law School, told NPR that filing criminal charges in the deaths of both Lee and um, Helena Hutchinson from the Rust film is often up to the acting prosecutor's prosecutor's discretion. Um, She said that charging Baldwin with involuntary manslaughter is unusual and difficult to prove. Um, Quote, no one intended for this to happen. So these kinds of charges are reserved for only the most extreme kinds of negligence, the most gross negligence, the largest deviation from what ordinary standards would be. She also said there are people along the continuum here uh, who had direct responsibility for that gun and failed in that responsibility. One way of thinking is, in one sense, Baldwin is the least culpable on that line. Yeah, that's what I've always I've been <coughs> thinking about that too. Yeah. Is that like where are all the other checks? Yeah. yeah, he's not the gun expert. He's not right. the prop master. He's not the weapon master. He's not you know the the last check. He's not the person making the bullets. He's not the person checking the guns. He's not the person cleaning yep. the guns. Like what? What happened before that? So, I mean, that's uh, like it, saying, you know, like it, it's someone's fault because the the cable broke. Right. You know, like, yep. Just in the middle, like it just snapped. And it's like no one could have done like no one's at, no one's fully at fault for it. But yeah. the accident still happened. Mm-hmm. Still, they decided to move forward with finishing the crow. They spent an additional eight million dollars for rewrites and reshoots, and they wanted to make it worth, uh, or like work, and release the film in memory of Brandon because they said he they were close with him at the time, the director, um, that he would have wanted the film to continue. Yeah, that's to, what I've always finished. heard too from people on set and in interviews and stuff is that he would have wanted it to have finished. Yeah, and it was so close, like yeah. So the film finished using body doubles in close-ups or scenes where his face is clearly seen um digital processing added lee's face to the double for example the scene where you see eric putting on his fun new makeup and then he stands in the window and lightning flashes and lights up the room that's a body double and special effects group dream dream quest then used previously captured footage of lee to digitally graft his face onto the body double and like watching watching the movie i never i didn't fucking know that no and, and pretty cutting edge for 1993. Yeah. Uh, maybe somewhat ironically, one of the body doubles was a new stunt guy on the scene named Chad Stales- uh, Staleski. Sorry. And Chad Staleski is a name that you might recognize now. Uh, he's very well known as a stuntman and just happened to have directed a little series of films called the John Wick fucking movies. Oh. Probably one of the most gun heavy movies in recent years. Yeah. 
He said, quote, Brandon's accident was a lot of little dumb things that got by, but it's group think. All people involved were very smart. You get tired. You make one mistake. It compounds. It was a safety standard that definitely changed the industry with firearms. You know where that leads to? John Wick is 90% guns, firearms, a lot of safety or the methodology we use. It came because of that accident. The incident that led to Lee's death spurred the need for better protocols when using prop guns on set. Yeah, so many it's questions. Un- it's unfortunate how an accident <clears throat> like that can can cause changes yeah. to happen. Like it's like a good thing, but it's also a shitty thing because a someone had thing. to get hurt for it. Uh, but so many so many questions still remained. Why wasn't Lee wearing a bulletproof vest, which was according to the podcast that I listened to at least standard protocol? Why was the gun pointed directly at Brandon and not offline as should have been instructed by the weapons master? And why was there no weapons expert on set for the shoot? Mm-hmm. Was it the curse? Was it the Chinese mafia? Who knows? Well, because it was at, at least the the story I always heard is that the prop master got sick. The but there should if they were going to be using a weapon, there should have been someone on yeah. set. No, to, that's what yeah, that's, that's what the yeah. argument is is that um he was the prop master or weapon master was planning was supposed to be there then got sick but they had set up the scene already and because they were so strapped for cash and time they just went ahead with it and like and what i know a couple i know a couple of the actors a couple of the actors stopped acting i think that the actor who is the one who actually shot brandon we're getting there okay it opened on May of 19 in May of 1994 on Friday the 13th. It grossed 11 million dollars its first weekend, the biggest release and best most successful uh release that Miramax had to date. Which side note, Paramount had originally started this film, but they dropped it. They were like we're cutting our losses. This is going to look bad for us. And Miramax picked it up and was like, "Okay, cool. We're going to do a big release." And then Harvey Weinstein anyway um but roger ebert ended up calling it a stunning work of visual style after the events took uh place michael massey the one who played fun boy and shot the gun took a long sabbatical from acting he told extra in 2005 i don't think you ever get over something like that i cannot but he he did however get over something like that and he did have a modest return to acting um including a short stint on supernatural as kubrick who was a buddy of Gordon Walker, the hunter who was trying to kill Sam for a while there. Hmm. Uh, but but Massey died in 2016 after a battle with stomach cancer. Well, that's unfortunate. He was, in, he was in like 24. I think he was on an episode of Criminal Minds. Uh, yeah, he's he was he's in like a lot of little things like that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do long stints. Or I don't know that he did many movies. Yeah. He, he voiced Bruce Banner in some animated Marvel stuff. Yeah, he came back. But in the wake of the Rust shooting, Eliza Hutton, Brandon's fiance at the time of his death, spoke to People magazine and said, 28 years ago, I was shattered by the shock and grief of losing the love of my life, Brandon Lee, so senselessly. My heart aches again now for Helena Hutchins' husband and son and for all those left in the wake of this avoidable tragedy, adding, I urge those in positions to make change to consider alternatives to real guns on sets. She also posted a photo of herself and Brandon in Venice on Instagram um, from 1992, just after their engagement, with a caption that says, there's no such thing as a prop gun. Um, They were supposed to get married right after the wrap of the film. Like, their date was set for April 27th, and he died on March 31st. Like, that's horrifying. Um, But yeah, that's the story. There was an Associated Press article that I found from 2016 that determined from 1990 until the time of publication, at least 43 people died on sets in the U.S. and more than 150 had been left uh, with life-altering injuries from um, guns on sets. And the thing that's wild to me is like, especially anything I would say in the last maybe even 15, 20 years, it's like technology has gotten to the point of like you just have a really realistic airsoft gun and and dub over the banks go to a range and and record you know the the sounds you could still use an airsoft gun to get the the you know to hit like to hit a person in a, a vest or whatever so that they can react in a way that looks realistic but like you're already not supposed to be sh- you're not like you're shooting them with rubber bullets or or right. anything anyway 
as far as like actually shooting them they have to react to the gunshot so it's like i don't understand why we even still use but like um like in the john wick films he's right like the he that that film should be the standard of how gun safety on set is because of how much a training that keanu reeves went through Mm -hmm. like if you're going to be on set with a with a weapon like that your uh your actors should be trained to use a weapon like that yeah like so that they know the safety they know to check like you and everybody in the line should be responsible for checking Mm -hmm. that's just anyway well, I and, did want to tell and you. you don't point your gun at something you don't want at dead. somebody. Yes, that that's the biggest thing for me with Michael Matt. Like, how did he not know to just shoot away? Yeah, like I did want to tell you. Um, I looked it up while you were chatting just then to tell you who he was in Criminal Minds because I knew you and Dana <laughs> are probably going to care. Um, he was Jacob Dawes in the first season in the in the episode Ride the Lightning. Oh, yeah. He's the he's the disgusting killer man. Yeah, that's a that's an intense episode. It's a sad episode. But that's fun boy. Mm. He plays it's a good a psychopath. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. I thought for years he was saying it's a squirrel, but then I watched it with the subtitles and it says it's a squab. <laughs> I was like, what? I misheard you all these years. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you haven't seen The Crow. Just the oh, first yeah. one. The other two are... Like, and I, I also fun. highly recommend Enter the Dragon. That was the first Bruce Lee film I ever saw. It was... I watched it because some guy on the internet said he liked it and I wanted it to be cool. But it was, <laughs> it was actually really good, so... Well, and I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot of uh, things to say about, you know, like, I think that the, the amount of steps forward Bruce Lee... Oh, yeah. made for asian actors asian american actors anything like that i mean you're talking about like yeah sure simu liu but you've also got um the actor whose name i can't remember off the top of my head um uh, but the korean actor who plays appa in kim's convenience who has an oh, yeah. accent and he has a korean accent and he's you know yeah. it's kind of a thick accent and that is, he's my He's the best in that show. Oh, I just want the best. best. I'm so Please excited. watch that show. <laughs> yeah, I wish that they would have gotten the sixth season, but I haven't watched the fifth season because they didn't get the next season. And you're like, I can't let it end. Well, it's not so I'll just much... keep watching the first four seasons. It's not so much that is that I'm worried that it doesn't get an ending because they were oh, planning yeah. on another season to wrap it. Yeah. Um. And, uh. but yeah, I mean, just like... Uh, Kumail Nanjiani, another actor, another Asian actor who's just, his accent is thick. He has a noticeable, intense accent. Mm-hmm. And so seeing these, you know, seeing all of these actors now that have that benefit of, I mean, I'm sure that they probably get overlooked for some roles. Everybody gets overlooked for some roles, right? You just Absolutely. don't fit yeah. or whatever. But I like that we're seeing more and more Asian and any any type of ethnicity with with mm-hmm. the the accents from where they're from you know like black panther is a great example of having yeah. just like the whole cast is you know has actual african like heart of africa accents they don't sound mm-hmm. like you know with the exception of obviously of killmonger but like they don't sound like they're american actors even though chadwick boseman is <laughs> Like, hearing Chadwick Boseman do, like, an acceptance speech without the, like, Black Panther voice threw me off so bad the first time because I forgot that he's an American actor. <laughs> it's just, like, like hearing also, Tom Holland like, speak and yeah. I forget he's British. Like I want to say that Chadwick Boseman's accent in the Black Panther was so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> It was like, I'm still I'm still a Winston Duke. Uh, Mbaku oh, yeah. Oh, is yeah. my yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, there, but but I think that it it speaks to the changing of opinions, not just with Asian actors, but with all all different varieties and ethnicities and nationalities of actors not having to. Um, 
hide or change or unlearn their accent in order to get roles or be successful another one another thing that happened as a result of brandon's death was people started getting into bruce again like people were like oh okay well now i know who this is and i'm gonna get into this and it and he really did become like this like weird um like almost like godlike in hollywood for for what he did and i it's just a shame that he wasn't so revered when he was alive yeah because he deserved to be obviously and and like like i was saying like the idea of of the promise that bruce had was completely different from the promise that brandon had like brandon was going to be your next brad pitt or something like he was going to be the standard macho handsome like joe handsome guy in the movies he wasn't about to bring some new um philosophy or anything i always i always think that um if if brandon lee had not of passed away i always thought that every single movie heath ledger was in Mm could have been brandon lee yep like could you imagine oh my god could you imagine Brandon Lee and 10 Things I Hate About You. I, or, do you think he's too old? I don't know when Brent, or when Heath Ledger was born, but he, like, uh, 1965 is, he would be in his 60s when that came out? Or not, no, not 60s. He would like, be 60s what? today. Today. He would be 60s in his 60s today. <laughs> like, so I'm trying to, like, reverse mathematics how old he would be when that came out. Oh, that was not oh my god not how did Heath at ledger die 1979 okay yeah so he was 15 years older yeah but it's still like i think that they're i i'm i would be so same type absolutely to yeah. know what because like there's no way he was going to come out of the crow unsuccessful right like the yeah. of course there was more talk around the movie because of what happened but that movie is beyond a cult classic at this point Mm -hmm. there's no that that entire generation of like my brother's generation of of goths that was their like magnum opus movie yep you know it's so romantic and it's so tragic and it's so action-packed and it's so artistically shot Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's got that like it always felt like uh, when I watched it, I had seen Sin City first. Mm-hmm. And then when I watched The Crow, I was like, oh, whoever, the, when they did Sin City, they, they looked at The Crow and they said, how do we make this yeah. translate into a movie? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we take a, com- how do we make a movie look like a comic book without making it look weird? Yep. And, and they really did an excellent job at The Crow. And they did an excellent job with Sin City, too. But yeah, just stylistically, it's so spot on the whole movie. Mm-hmm. There's not a scene that like takes you out of the moment because it doesn't fit the vibe or how the whole rest of the movie has been. You know, they definitely had a sense of direction on where they wanted how they wanted it to look. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> but rip. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and so young too, Jesus. Yeah. 28 your whole life ahead of you still well thanks for joining us as we discuss the tragic deaths of these two young stars we hope you'll reach out to us with your own experiences we want your stories your questions and your feedback send us an email at strange unusual podcast at gmail.com if you're sending a listener story we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so you can sort through those a little more easily I mean, I doubt that we've got anybody who's like, oh, did you ever meet Brandon Lee? Uh, <laughs> tell us about it. But like, you know, it, tell us about your first experience watching The Crow or, yeah. you know, watching uh, your first Bruce Lee movie. Did it inspire you to get into martial arts? Because I know that it did for a lot. Of, that's why my brother got into karate and stuff was because of watching Bruce Lee movies. So, yeah. Yeah. Let us know. Uh, you can always find us on uh on the internet like like you know <laughs> we are you gremlins know we do <laughs> internet gremlins. Uh, we're on instagram uh strange underscore unusual underscore podcast we're on uh oh yeah we can, personal accounts roy rampage calamity gazy if you if you care um you can find us on twitter still underscore strange unusual uh same same handles for twitter if you want to find us personally we're on facebook just search for our name and our little little logo 
our little little logo <laughs> yeah uh can you tell i'm tired all right well, you can also find us on patreon.com slash strange unusual where we are serving up the goods with our watch parties that are torturing everybody day by day <laughs> um, the amount of times i have messaged casey and been like that rocks and she's like but does it rock on the side of justice? rock on the side of justice yeah and and you too can can get in on funny inside jokes like this <laughs> if you join us on patreon.com slash strange unusual join our discord and uh or you you will be able to access our discord and be a part of the watch parties that we have every other friday um we're also um you know potentially gonna have a little little conspiracy theory episode popping yeah, up here in a little, a little bit bonus uh, episode get into get in on that action um it's only two dollars a month otherwise a good the, the last bonus content i think was just me screaming about wonder woman for like 20 yeah minutes. i think so i think yeah. that is true <laughs> uh so patreon.com slash strange unusual again it's just two dollars a month it helps us out um but if you cannot support us financially which with the price of eggs in this economy who could blame you with fucking um, tax returns being the piles of shit they are yeah 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 yeah. well so you can uh support us by liking and sharing and subscribing and downloading and doing all the things that help boost our numbers and shit um if you do leave us a five-star review on uh was it apple podcasts then um you can write us a little review and we will read it out loud if it's got five stars on it baby and uh it doesn't even have to be nice you can say these bitches don't know anything about gung fu how dare they talk about bruce lee this way he was a genius that they do not even come close to describing uh, but five stars that we will read that and also probably act yeah because I, I i'll probably... be honest my first introduction into martial arts movies is jackie chan so oh, who, fuck. another another actor who who changed the course man. changed the course but also like bruce lee walked so jackie could run like yep. i mean i i Hell think that yeah. i think a lot of that's another good comparison too that i think that there would have been um a lot Again, there's a, a a decent age difference between Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee, but um, I think there would have been a lot uh, of shared movies and and opportunities. Yeah, that w- that later would go to Jackie. Um, that might have gone to Bruce or been brought up earlier with mm. Bruce being an option. Um, but there's also <clears throat> sorry, there's also um two movies about Ip Man too. The, yeah there's um i know of two for sure there's a few because when i was looking him up i think there was at least one that said men three okay yeah so. i think when i was the first one and second one came out when i was working at hastings so oh uh, yeah and elisa they're really good i remember she's watched them and she really likes them okay. i haven't seen them though but, but yeah also well, a great that's it, everybody. great great parody uh black exploitation movie based off of um into the dragon is the last dragon which okay. is uh, bonded Elise and I on our second date. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a wonderful movie. <laughs> okay, it, it doesn't I believe age a hundred percent well, but it's it's a it's a favorite. Look, mean Girls didn't age well, and I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some aspects to it. Um, but yeah, it's basically just like the plot of Enter the Dragon. But with like a young black man who's inspired by Bruce Lee. Mm. There is a black guy in Enter the Dragon, though, because I remember going. That guy has is his name Tim Kelly, maybe I don't remember. But he um, there's a guy in the in the in the in the scene where he's got a, an afro and it's great. And I was like, what a what a diverse cast. <laughs> <laughs> then anyway, anyway, bye. Next bye. <laughs> I almost pressed disconnect instead of stop recording.